Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. One well, hey, everybody, welcome to Rethink Life Church Online. We are so excited that you've joined with us today. And man, I am so pumped about today's message. So let me ask you to do me a huge favor. Go ahead and click those share buttons if you're watching us, especially on Facebook. But you're going to want to make sure that you pass this message on to a friend or someone that you know, because this is going to be a very practical helpful, life-giving message that I believe is going to be one that potentially will forever change your life, especially as it relates to us falling in love with the Word of God. Today, we have set aside this day, and here's the theme we came up with. You ready for this? It's called BYOB Sunday. That's right, BYOB. Now, before some of you go, oh my goodness, what in the world have they gotten into now? Well, we're talking about Bring Your Own Bible Sunday. Come on, somebody. Now, I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible or have one accessible, uh, wherever you might be watching this, you may uh, obviously be more of the digital type of person and you have your Bible there in the Bible app, uh, there of the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or an iPad or whatever. That's fine too. But I'm going to go old school. We're going to actually have kind of a touchy-feely moment with some actual Bibles that I want to share with you. So this is going to be a very special day for me in a lot of ways just because some of the Bibles that I'm going to show you in just a second actually has a lot of meaning to me. In fact, as I was preparing for today's message, I was actually going through a lot of the Bibles that I have at home. And uh, really, to my amazement, I have collected just countless Bibles over the course of my lifetime. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a preacher. Uh, Michelle grew up in a Christian home. Her father was a preacher pastor. And so we fortunately have been blessed to be around the Word of God. And we've had countless Bibles given to us. And, and each of those Bibles that have been given to us have a lot of different meanings behind them. And I'm sure you could obviously say the same thing when it comes to the Bible that maybe is near and dear to you, one that you've had maybe since a child, or maybe you have one that's relatively new that someone has given to you. When you think about Bibles... You know, there's all kinds of questions as it relates to, you know, what is the best kind of Bible, you know, I should have? Or what is the best translation that, you know, I should get? And, and you know, is there really a difference between one Bible and the other? Well, let me just pause there before I answer a lot of those questions. And let me just share with you a couple of things about the Bibles that I have. In fact, this one here, because when you think about it, Bibles come in all shapes and sizes. Now, this one here is very, very small. In fact, some of the Bibles that often maybe you see in a hotel room, for example, that are furnished by the amazing ministry called the Gideons. Gideons International is a fantastic ministry, and they have literally put Bibles uh, in hotel rooms and public places around the entire world. Mi millions upon millions of Bibles that have been distributed around the world. And they come in, all, again, in all shapes and sizes. I happen to 
opened this one up a few moments ago, and it was actually given um, to my son, Luke. And I just want to read this. I thought this was really special. In fact, uh, I literally just stumbled upon this. It's been so long since I've opened it up. This was actually given to my son, Luke, when he was 10 years of age uh, by my mother and father-in-law. And this was actually given to him at Christmas in 2010, which simply means he would have been 10 years of age at that time when my in-laws gave him this Bible. And they put a little note right here in the front cover of it. And this is not a complete Bible. It actually is just portions of the New Testament and some of the Psalms. But it says, this New Testament contains the message and values by which we live. If you read it, believe it, and live by the message in this book, you will have a blessed life. Then someday in the future, we will all live together in heaven and worship at Jesus' feet. We purchased this for you at the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem, Israel. We are very proud of you and love you, Grandma and Grandpa Mesteller. You know, there are... There are Bibles like this that have tremendous meaning and value because, once again, of perhaps who um, gave those Bibles to us. This book right here, excuse me, this Bible right here was given to me when I was 10 years of age. It's hard to believe my uh, parents, they wrote on the inside of here. I have uh, all of the birth dates of my mother and my father and my three older brothers. And I was just kind of thumbing through some of the things that have been identified and underlined and highlighted. And this one actually is old school, man. This has got like the maps. It's got, you know, some of the uh, illustrations that are, uh, you know, like little pictures that have been drawn out. But this Bible is meaningful for me because it's one of the very first Bibles that I personally remember when I was only 10 years of age and I've held on to it for all of those years. And then, of course, another Bible that was very important to me. Actually, I leaned on this one a lot because when I was going off into college, this book, excuse me, this particular Bible, it's known as the Student's Life Application Bible. And I love this because it is uh, obviously the Bible, but it has notes that have been written and shared in terms of commentary from the Word of God that allows you to not only understand the Bible, but it also has a lot of topics relative to the temptations and the struggles and problems that teenagers and young adults face. And I highly, highly recommend this. It's still available today. You can get one of these. It's called the Student Life Application Bible. And if you have uh, a teenager at home, or a young adult, it would be a wonderful gift to give to them. This particular Bible is one that has a tremendous amount of um, meaning to me. And the reason why is because this Bible is actually called the Rari Study Bible. And I had the opportunity to spend the entire day with the man who wrote the, the Bible notes and commentaries of this Bible that was named after him, the Rari Study Bible. Charles Rari. Um, one of the mentors I'm going to mention in just a few, few moments was actually his college roommate. 
And um, he arranged for us to go to his apartment and uh, we had lunch together. We spent the afternoon together and we just talked and he shared with me his library. And it was just one of the most memorable days I will, I will never, ever forget. And he signed this Bible to me in the front here and autographed it. And it's just been one of those keepsake Bibles that have meant so much to me because, again, of who uh, God used to influence my life. Here's another one, and this is the last one I'm going to reference here for just a moment. Now, some of you remember back in the day, the little precious moments collectibles, you know, you may have had these little figurines you know, all over the house. And man, I think some people still go nuts over those things because, you know, for many people, they've traded, they've bought and sold, you know, these little collectibles known as precious moments. Well, our daughter, our oldest daughter, Rebecca, when she was born, was given this Precious Moments Bible, and it was actually a gift to her through us and uh, the founders of Liberty University, the late Dr. Jerry Falwell. He and his wife sent this Bible to our daughter, uh, Rebecca, and actually signed a note to her, and it was really just a special thing. We've held on to it for all of these years. Now, why am I sharing with you all of these Bibles? You know, I'm not just here to do a little show and tell, but here's the reason why these Bibles are so important to our lives. Here's something I want to share with you. At the end of the day, Bibles come in all shapes and all sizes. And obviously today we have Bibles to our, in, in, in accessible to us literally at our fingertips because of the digital age in which we live. But at the end of the day, the whole reason why we are doing this series called Rethink Your Bible is simply because it is more about just reading the Bible for information or reading the Bible for inspiration, at the end of the day, it is all about reading the Bible so that the Bible can transform our everyday lives. Let me put it to, put it to you this way. It's more than just getting into the Bible. It's all about getting the Bible into you. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk for just a moment and I'm going to help you understand the difference between reading your Bible and actually studying your Bible. And really, to, to help you better understand the difference between the two, you see, studying your Bible not only includes reading your Bible, but here's the key difference. Studying your Bible actually requires you to get a pen, to get a pencil, to get something to write with, to get a notepad, a journal, something that you actually write down the takeaways the principles, the truths, the things that God speaks to you as you read His Word. That is really the biggest difference between reading your Bible and studying the Bible. It's about what you write down. It's about what you take away from that which you are reading. So today, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be very practical. In other words, I'm going to do for you what a gentleman by the name of Sumner Wimp did for me many, many, many years ago. 
He was the one who introduced me to the gentleman I referred to a few moments ago by the name of Charles Ryrie, who wrote the Ryrie Study Bible. And Dr. Wimp was um, a professor of mine when I was at Liberty University. And we developed a very close friendship. In fact, I was like an apprentice to him. I used to pick him up on the weekends and I would drive him to the churches where he would preach. And I would spend the entire day as I was kind of like his assistant. But I was always there learning and observing. And he taught me so much. And I'll never forget when he retired from a professor there uh, from Liberty University. He moved to Dallas, Texas. And after uh, my wife Michelle and I got married, uh, we also ended up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And sure enough, we reconnected there in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. And i never forget going over to Sumner's house. And he was well into his late 70s, early 80s at this time. And he literally would take his Bible And he would open it up and he would have me bring my Bible and we would open it up to the same place, to the same passage. And then he would walk me through exactly how to read and how to study my Bible. And so I want to do for you what he did for me, because what he helped me do is he helped me to ask four specific questions when it came to reading a passage of Scripture. And so I'm going to actually take a passage of Scripture today, and I'm going to use it as an example to teach you how to ask these same four questions so that you can have a clear understanding of what a passage in the Bible is actually saying. Remember last week we talked about illumination. You see, God wants to illuminate to our minds, to our hearts, to our understanding His truth, which brings forth the transformation in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And as I'm uh, giving you a moment to maybe grab your Bible, find your place there. Philippians chapter 2, it's in the New Testament. This is one of the prison epistles, if you will, that the Apostle Paul wrote. A series of letters that he wrote to a number of different churches. He happened to be in prison at the time. He was awaiting his sentence. He was actually uh, going to be going before Caesar at the time there in Rome, Italy. And the reason why he was in Rome is because he was going there on a missionary outreach, if you will. He was there to help evangelize and to help uh, you know, make a difference sharing the gospel to those there in Rome. But because of that... He was obviously going against the belief system and against the laws, and therefore they arrested him, put him into prison. So the Apostle Paul now is writing a letter to a group of people in a little place called Philippi. Now Philippi is basically um, a place in Greece, and it was there where the Apostle Paul had helped establish that church. And through the establishing of that church, here's what he did. He formed some very close relationships with the people. So these people there in Philippi had collected, if you will, a love offering to help with some of the expenses and the financial needs for the Apostle Paul. And so through this whole thing, the Apostle Paul, at the end of the day, was writing a letter to the people in Philippi as a way of saying thank you 
for their generosity, to say thank you for going above and beyond, to care for him and to show love and support in all that he was doing to advance the gospel. So let's pick up in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through verse 30. And here's what it says. Paul said, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. In verse 21, it says, all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. He said, I hope to send him to you just as myself would come to you. Uh, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, he said, I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, a co-worker and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. Now I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he has been very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that, so that I would not have sorrow one after the other. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Now, those 15 or so verses of Scripture in that passage there in Philippians chapter 2 is a lot. There is a lot going on. So again, if it was just you and me sitting across the table and I were to help you understand exactly how to understand what all of this means, I would share with you the same questions that someone helped me with. And here are the four questions. So if you're taking notes, of course, they'll be on the screen. But the first is this. We need to ask the question, what does the text say? What does it say? There's a word for this. There's a word for that question, and it's the word observation. That's basically what we're doing. We're just observing those verses of Scripture in that particular chapter, in that particular book known as the book of Philippians, and what we're doing is we are asking ourselves some questions. What does it say? Well, after I read that multiple times to have a better understanding of exactly what it is saying, here's what I personally have observed when I read that multiple times. Really two specific things. Paul the Apostle is actually talking about two individuals. 
And what he's doing is he's, he's intending to send two people, one by the name of Phil, excuse me, one by the name of Timothy and one by the name of Epaphroditus. He's talking about sending two people there in Rome back to this place there in Greece, there in the city of Philippi. So in verse 1, Paul said in, in verses 19 through 25, Paul intends to send both Timothy and Epaphroditus, who is actually a member of the church there at Philippi. And then in verse, verse 20 and verse 29, uh, verse 29, another thing that I observed is not only was Paul saying, I'm going to send you two individuals, but here's the other thing I observed. Because of what Paul said about these two individuals, in essence, what he's doing is that he is placing his own personal endorsement as examples when it comes to these two people that he referenced, one named Timothy and the other by the name of Epaphroditus. As a matter of fact, he not only referenced them as role models, but he also said specifically as it related to Epaphroditus, hey, he is a person who is worthy of honor. So let's break it down a little bit more. Verse 20, here's what Paul said about Timothy. He said, I have no one else like Timothy. Now, I don't know about you, but I know there are people in my life, and I'm sure uh, you probably could say the same about somebody. It could be a coworker, it could be a family member, but there is just a relationship that you might have with somebody, and in your mind, it's like, I have no one else like these people. I have no one else in my life like this person. And the reason why we would say that is because this person has proven themselves to be very faithful, very trustworthy, very committed, very loyal. These are individuals. Compared to everybody else, there's, just, there's really just no one else quite like this person. Do you have someone like that in your life? It's very important that we think about somebody that we know in, in comparison to everyone else. It's like, you know what? This is the one person, man alive, because of who they are and because of their faithfulness, I have no one else that I could literally put my dependency upon quite like this person. That's what Paul was saying about young Timothy. And then in verse 29, here's what he said about Epaphroditus. He said, welcome him with Christian love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. Now, that's incredible. And I think it's important that we understand why Paul identified these two people to be individuals that were very, very special. And here's what Paul said about Timothy. He said in verses 20 and 21, he said, Timothy genuinely cares about your welfare. So in essence, what Paul was emphasizing about Timothy is like, hey, here is a person. I mean, there's very few people, Paul's saying, that is quite like Timothy. And one of the things that sets him apart is the fact that he genuinely and sincerely cares about the spiritual, the physical, the emotional needs of you. And I think there's an old saying we probably can all relate to, and it's the old saying that goes like this. People don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's the way Timothy was. He was just a guy who sincerely and genuinely cared for the needs of other people. 
And then Paul said in verse 22 about Timothy, he said he has proved himself. In other words, one of the things about Timothy that really set him apart was the fact that year after year, he proved himself when it came to his faithfulness, to his devotion to the Lord, to his own spiritual growth and health. In other words, he wasn't just a, you know, another flash in the pan. He wasn't somebody who was you know, jockeying for position or had this ambition or ego or was trying to be one up on somebody else. No, no, no. He was an individual who genuinely cared for people. And just year after year after year, he proved himself through the consistency of his devotion and his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's pretty complimentary when you think about that kind of stamp of approval and endorsement from someone like the Apostle Paul, who many consider to be the greatest Christian who ever lived. Man, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul said that about you? If the Apostle Paul said that about me? And then there are three things that he said about Epaphroditus. In verse 25, he said, He is a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. Now, what does that mean? Well, one of the things we learned about Epaphroditus is the fact that he lived a very balanced life. In other words, he was all about relationships. He was all about the consistency and the continuation of sharing the gospel. And he was a fellow soldier simply in the fact that he was willing to even move against persecution to defend the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was fighting the good fight of faith and he wasn't, he, he wasn't one of these who would quit or run or, or back away or back down when the, when the going got tough, so to speak. And then in verse 26, it says that he has been longing to see you and he was very distressed. So Paul is saying this about Epaphroditus. He was sick. And one of the things that he uh, was, was um, concerned about is that news had traveled all the way back to Philippi and he had learned that the people in Philippi, his fellow brothers and sisters there, were concerned about him. Well, he was concerned that they were concerned. And so it goes to show that he was a very compassionate individual and he was concerned the fact that he was putting other people out from the standpoint of causing fear and concern for their lives on his behalf. And then in verses 27 and 30, it says, he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. So here is a man who risked everything when he left Philippi and traveled all the way to Rome. He was an ordinary person, just like Timothy. Both were lay people, ordinary people that God used in an extraordinary way. And as a result, he risked his own life going all of that distance by himself to take an offering that the people had collected to hand deliver to the Apostle Paul. Now that takes a lot of trustworthiness. Someone's character, reputation was placed on the line, but he even was willing to risk his own life because of people who might have learned about what he had in his possession, learned about what he was doing, and perhaps could have killed him, arrested him, or robbed him. He literally took his own life into his own hands. And so with that, the Apostle Paul is sharing these things about these 
two men. So as I'm reading this passage, just like you would be reading this passage, all we're doing is we're simply observing what the Apostle Paul is saying about these individuals. So that leads me to the next question. And question number two is, question number one is, what is it saying? And then question number two is, what does it mean? And this is all about interpretation. So how do you interpret? In other words, how do you clearly understand what a passage of Scripture actually means? Well, here's how we learn. We learn by reading and taking in consideration the context of the entire passage of Scripture. That's why you can't just take one verse and kind of just build everything on a verse. No, you have to actually take in consideration to get the full scope, the full understanding of perspective about everything the writer was trying to communicate and convey. You have to look at the context. How do we know what the context is? By asking the age-old questions of who, what, when, where, how, why, all of those are part of the context to help us understand the full scope of exactly what was being said. So quickly, there are a few things that we observe and there are a few things that, that we can take away in terms of interpreting and having a better understanding of what Paul was actually saying. Five things that we can talk about here when it comes to the characteristics of what it actually takes to be a godly man or a godly woman. Because in verse 21, he says, number one, he said that that Timothy is a very caring individual. He said, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. And all all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, is that, listen, a godly person is someone who's caring, someone who is unselfish, and someone who is very compassionate. So he not only is saying that people are caring as a godly characteristic, but he's also saying that people should be consistent. Godly men and women should be consistent. In verse 22, he said, Timothy has proved himself. So therefore, He's not only caring, but he's also consistent. And then he says that there's another characteristic and a godly man or woman should also be cooperative. This is what he was talking about as it related to Epaphroditus. He said he is a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. And then in verse 26, listen to this. He says he's considerate. He says, he's been longing to see you and he is very distressed that you have heard that he was ill. And then in verses 27 and 30, it says that he was also courageous. Like I mentioned a few moments ago, for he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do far away. So what is Paul actually trying to help us understand. As we read this passage of Scripture, we're asking the questions, okay, what does this actually mean? And what Paul is trying to help us understand as we interpret that is he's trying to help us understand that being a godly man or a woman requires a person being caring, consistent, cooperative, considerate, 
and courageous. Those are the characteristics that embodied Epaphroditus as well as Timothy. So those are two things that we've talked about so far. Number one, what does it say? That's observation. Number two, what does it mean? That's interpretation. And then number three, what do other verses say? That's referencing to the correlation. In other words, when you start looking at a few verses of Scripture or a passage of Scripture like we've been doing here in Philippians 2, what we have to also ask ourselves is, are there other places in the Bible that speaks to the same thing? Are there other references in the Bible that speaks to these specific truths as well? Well, obviously, when it comes to Timothy, there was a lot to be said about Timothy in other parts of the Bible. As a matter of fact, there are two books known as First and Second Timothy. So obviously, there was a lot of correlation to be learned when it comes to Timothy's life. However, when it comes to Epaphroditus, his name was only mentioned one other time in Philippians, um, there in verses 14 through 18 in Philippians chapter 2. So when you think about these two people, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, are there other places in the Bible that speak to their lives? And are there other places in the Bible that I can look up and look at when it comes to understanding more about what I can learn from their lives? One of my favorite verses of scripture that I've passed on to young people through many, many years when it comes to Timothy's life Because again, Paul said that he was a a good example and role model. And I think it's important for young people today, now more than ever, to have good, strong, spiritual and moral role models. Wouldn't you agree? Well, that's the kind of person that young Timothy was in his generation. And here's what 1 Timothy 4.12 says. Don't let anyone look down on you for being young. Instead, make your speech and behavior and love and faith and purity, an example for other believers. So one of the takeaways when we are asking the question, are there other verses about Timothy that I should look up and learn from? Yes, that one right there I just mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 is a prime example of what it means to have correlation to a passage of Scripture. And then let me close out by saying this, and this is the fourth question, and that is, how do I apply it? That is application. Now, I want to share, as I uh, wrap this up today, something that's very, very important. You can have all kinds of Bibles in your home. And you can have some that are, you know, meaningful because of maybe it was a gift or maybe it was something passed down to you. It may be for some of you, you have Bibles and honestly, they only serve as kind of a token. It's almost like an ornamental, you know, uh, thing that sits out on the coffee table. And here's the key. At the end of the day, listen, you can read the Bible and, and, and you can have Bibles, you know, all day in your, in your house until they, you know, fill up your rooms. But until we apply the Bible, until we begin to walk it out, until we begin to allow the Word of God to transform us, I like to say it it this way. Listen, information and inspiration without application is nothing but hallucination. (laughs) Listen, you are only fooling yourself if you think that you can go to church, 
If you think you can just read a couple of verses of the Bible and yet all you're getting is information without allowing it to be transformative in your life. And the only way it can transform you is when you begin to apply it in every situation in your life. And I highly encourage you, when I mentioned a few moments ago about the issue of, you know, are there any other uh, passages that, you know, I should look at or correlation or, you know, learning more about what the passage means. Everybody should have a good commentary. I highly, highly encourage you to get Warren Wiersbe's commentaries. In my opinion, I think he's got the best biblical notes of interpretation when it comes to uh, helping people understand just how to apply the truth of what the Bible is actually saying to your everyday life. They're very, very good. This book right here called What the Bible is All About by, the, by a lady by the name of Henrietta Mears um, is an incredible, incredible, helpful book. Rick Warren's book called uh, The Bible Study Methods is absolutely phenomenal. But why am I telling you all these things? Because in James 1, verses 22 through 25, and I'll close with this. Here's what it says. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, notice carefully, then God will bless you for doing it. So if you want your life, if you want your marriage, if you want your family, if you want your friendships and your relationships, listen, if you want your financial world, Listen, if you want your life literally to be blessed of God, you want to experience God's transformation in your life, then I'm telling you, the greatest single thing you can do is to allow the supernatural power of God's Word to literally set you free from the power of death and sin. The greatest single thing we can do is allow the truth of God's Word to transform us and to change us so that we can become more and more like Christ Jesus. So today, I've given you you, uh, four specific questions that you can ask yourself as you read the Bible and learn how to apply the Bible into your everyday life. This is so important, and this is why We need to stop and we need to rethink our Bible because it's not about just information. It's all about transformation. I want to invite you, if you would, to bow your heads together with me in a word of prayer. And as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me just say, if you're watching this, uh, maybe for the first time and maybe this is a little overwhelming to you. There's a lot of information. You're thinking, wow, I I don't know if I quite understand this but it's something that I need and it's something that I want in my life. Well, I want to give you the opportunity to make a life's greatest decision. And maybe, just maybe, some of you, you're watching this and you're, you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, but maybe you have neglected God's Word. Maybe you have not been spending time 
in the Word of God. And therefore, you have not been blessed by God and seen God work in and through your life because you haven't necessarily been applying God's Word into your everyday life. Well, maybe today what you need to do is just ask God to not just forgive you, but ask God to give you a renewed hunger and thirst for His Word and start committing, spending time each and every day just to do a little soap, scripture, observation, application, and prayer every day. Take you 15 minutes and watch what God does in your heart and in your life. Some of you, maybe what you need is just a relationship with Jesus. It's not about just believing in God. It's about believing God and believing God in His Word and putting your faith and putting your trust in the person of Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If that's your need, would you pray this prayer in your heart to say, Dear God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And today, I believe in my heart that you died on a cross and you arose again. And by faith, I'm inviting you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Hey, if you prayed that prayer just then, I want to send you a little book. If you just click that little button that says, I decided to top there, we want to send you a link and you can download a book that will help you. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know that you prayed that prayer. Listen, we're so grateful you've joined with us today. I pray it's been helpful and encouraging to you. And I pray that today, once and for all, you will begin to fall in love with the Word of God and let the Word of God get inside of you. I'll see you next Sunday. We can't wait for the final installment of our series called Rethink Your Bible. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.